0: It's time for us to begin. Good news is I'm not relying on as much technology this morning because, as I learned this weekend at demo, tested the equipment the day before, everything was great, tested it the morning of the demo, everything was great, got to the one moment where it's, all right, and then you press the button and this happens and nothing happened. (laughs) Sounds kind of like our projectors sometimes, where you test them before service and everything's great, and in the middle service, they decide to quit working. So we're in the book of Galatians, and this week I'm going to try to finish up chapter four, get through chapter five, although as I told Brother Johnson, apparently if I get to any hard parts, I'll just leave those for him for next week. We're going to pick up in chapter four, starting at verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear the law? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the flesh, and he of the free woman through promise. Which things are symbolic For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, which gives birth to bondage, which is Hagar. For this Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia and corresponds to Jerusalem that now is and is in bondage with her children. But to Jerusalem above, is free, which is the mother of us all. I'm going to be honest, this is one of those lessons where I really wish James Andrews was in the country because I think this is a passage that we probably gloss over and don't appreciate what is actually being said here. I think if you, if you put this in context and, and think about it for a moment, this is what struck me when I was looking at this lesson. Um, Paul was not one of the sons of thunder, and I don't know what the age difference was. He was probably a little bit younger than some of the other apostles. He may be, I don't know if he was quite the grandson of thunder, but if you think about what he's saying here, These are some pretty strong words because he's pointing out that the very law that they're trying to that they're being encouraged or led away to to maintain aspects of and to hold on to and that people are having a hard time letting go he's not equating that with the son of promise. He's equating that with the son of the bondman. This is not a compliment. I mean, this is something we can still see going on between groups of people to this very day, right? He's pointing out to a group of people who had no great love for the sons of Ishmael that this is the comparison. Hey, this is what you're clinging to. This is the example I mean, this is an animosity that uh, had been around for a long time. By the time Paul was writing it, there was lots of history here already. There's been several thousand years more history added to it. But these are strong words for Paul to pull out and make this comparison when you put them side by side. And I find it interesting that after he says this, he points out that he's not just saying this to make them mad, he backs it up from the prophets. Because he then reminds them, for it is written, Rejoice, O barren, you who do not bear. Break forth and shout, you who are not in labor. For the desolate has many more children than she who has a husband. He goes all the way back to Isaiah, and he's pointing out to them that there's more of the children of, the, than the one who had his husband, right? And this just reminded me of a passage from Matthew, if you think about it. This is, a, this is very similar to a passage from Matthew 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many that go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. It's Matthew 7, 13 and 14. So he's making this comparison with these two covenants. And he's trying to help them see that they're going back to the one that is is less perfect, that's less ideal for them. And so in 28... We continue, now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are children of promise. But as he who was born according to the flesh, then persecuted him who was according to the spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what does the scripture say? Cast out the bondwoman and her son, for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir with the son of the free woman. So then, brethren, we are not children of the bondwoman, but of the free. We're going to see here in a minute that, that Paul is making here a shift. They're, very, they're so focused on, on the Jerusalem of earth and what they can see, which is interesting. Have you thought about the fact that Jerusalem is always referred to as up? right? And he's saying, look, we're not looking up to that Jerusalem, we're looking further up to the Jerusalem that's in heaven, the new Jerusalem. He's trying to shift their, their mindset from what's being called over and over here from the earthly to the worldly to the spiritual. I think it's also interesting that when we make this comparison, we realize who it is that's writing this letter. Because this is Paul. Um, I guess, so to speak, you, I guess you could refer to him in some ways as a Jew's Jew. I mean, he reports to this in many ways. The teachers whose feet he sat at, the, the position he had, the potential he had, had he chosen to stay inside of this other system, right? Which was the one that he was in. He had He walked away from a lot. A, a lot of things that in the world people would claim to be looking for. Right, He would have been important. He would have been powerful. He would have been well-educated. He would have had all of these things that would have potentially given him a reason to hold on to that, that old or that original law from Mount Sinai. But here we find him. I didn't do the exact math, but we're talking 20-something odd years later probably, removed from the road to Damascus. And he's not continuing in that because he saw the error of it. He saw that it had been fulfilled. Not, not that it was an error. Probably more correctly, a better way to say it was that was a system that had served its purpose. It had been fulfilled. And it was now replaced by a covenant purchased and sealed with the blood of Christ. So why would he want to go back to that old system? This is interesting. This is Paul. This is a guy that had a lot of advantages under that previous covenant or at least the form of it that existed when he was a younger man. So let's move into chapter 5. So we're not, he's telling them, look, you're not children of the bondwoman, you're children of the free. And chapter 5 starts, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. And do not and, excuse me, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage again, how does Paul describe the law here? I and mean, people are wanting to hold on to these pet favorite pieces of it, but he 's describing it as not something most people would probably consider very pleasant. Glenn, do you walk around looking for a yoke of bondage yeah i 'm not it 's not it's it's a uh, Again, this is, this is strong language. And again, it's another one of those that I think it's phraseology that, that goes past us. Because when's the last time you thought about a yoke? <laughs> it's not something we think about every day walking around anymore. Now, it wasn't that long ago, right, that a yoke was an everyday thing. Because you had to go put the yoke on the mule and you had to plow the field. One of the things I love about where I live, Glenn, is there's still just enough agriculture left that I know the history of that when you drive by... It's almost like sometimes you can still see those things out in the field, right? Um, I live in kind of a weird place because right across the street from my house are cotton fields. And the guy that grew up in those cotton fields wrote a couple of number ones for Alabama. And one of them was high cotton. And a few years ago, that field sold, and I was scared that it wasn't, there was going to be houses. And so I went and got some cotton bowls, and they sit on my desk, right? You know, I don't know, your office is, Glenn, but you've got to have the knick-knack shelf with, you know, here's this thing I picked up on this trip, and there's a rock from the first mine I ever went in. It's just, you know, there's a silver cup that my grandfather got somewhere. It's one of those, like, rotary things. It's like some award thing, so there's the knick-knacks. Sitting in that cup, some cotton bowls came out of that field. So we don't think about yokes a lot. It was enough work to have to go yoke up mules. I sure don't want that yoke to be on me. And here he's reminding them that the law was a yoke of bondage. Verse 2, Indeed I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. So Paul makes it quite clear in verse 4 that he's not simply talking about the physical act of circumcision, right? He makes it quite clear to us, and he spells it out. You who attempt to be justified by law. He's being quite clear who he's talking about. You're attempting to justify yourself by these acts of the law that you're now keeping. Now, he's going he's gonna to fuss at those who are teaching him these things here in a minute, but right now he's pointing out specifically to those who are engaging in this and who are trying to, to bind this on others that, well, we have two covenants. And this one by the law is the one that he just spent a bunch of time telling us is the worldly one. It's the one of the bond servant. There's some other important notes here in verse 4 that I think are worth talking about. Glenn touched on them this morning. Um, there's a whole bunch of stuff that is actually in this section we're looking at today that, that Glenn's already touched on. Although it's kind of funny, Glenn, when you start talking about Christianity, how things are in circles, and one lesson often follows another with a lot of similarities when you start um, studying the scripture. But to me, I think verse 4 is a powerful one when you run into someone like Glenn was speaking of with the Barnes twisting himself here in a bit of a knot, right, when it comes to the idea of once saved, always saved. And I, I too have heard people in actual conversation twist themselves in knots. Well, then you weren't really saved. They'll, they'll, they'll come up with all, all sorts of things. But let's just look at verse 4 here from that viewpoint for a minute. Note that if attempting to be justified by the law, you have fallen from grace. It's pretty hard to fall from someplace where you've never been. I can't fall out of a tree I've never climbed. I guess the tree could fall on you, but that's not the same as falling out of the tree. That's a whole other aspect of some of Calvin's doctrines. (laughs) You can't fall out of a tree you've never climbed. You can't fall from grace that you've never obtained. Furthermore, the, you know, this verse starts with the phrase, if we go back to the very beginning of this verse, you have become estranged from Christ. King James renders this line, it's become of no effect unto you. If we go look at the, the Greek here, we get this idea of it's been rendered idle. Well, for something to be idle, that's the gear you put it in when it's no longer in drive unemployed, inactive, inoperative, to cause a person or thing of no further efficacy, to cause to cease, to put to an end, to do away with. The whole idea here is to stop something which had been. You're going from what was to something else, to terminate. I can't stop something that hasn't already been started. So we see this this verse And four, it's wrapping itself in this whole idea of you have become estranged, you are no longer connected to two, you are not part of Christ, you who attempt to justify yourself by the law, you have fallen from grace. These are important these are important concepts for us to understand. Because while this letter was written to a region, to churches in an area, I mean, a couple thousand years ago now, we still, feel, we still see lessons that come up in our conversations today. Whether talking amongst other Christians or, or even those who don't hold a whole lot to the Bible at all. We're going to see that when we get to the end of this lesson, that, that there's a huge contrast here. Because people actually love Godly wisdom. They just don't want to hear it from God. We're going we're gonna to close there by the time we get to the end of this. But we see here this clear case of, of yet another example of, well, let's go have a talk about Calvinism. Let's go look at what the Bible actually says about these, these concepts and these ideas as we walk through them. So here we have, if you're holding to the law, you no longer have what you had. And he's very clearly talking to people who had understood Christ who had accepted Christ, who had that grace that came through Christ, but yet are now trying to justify themselves through the law. I think this would have been a very different lesson if we were talking about people who had never learned of Christ. Verse 5. For we, through the Spirit, eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. That whole faith working through love is a few words, but it's really important that we understand what's actually being said here. So, New King James renders that but faith working through love. That's the translation I'm using here. King James, but faith which worketh by love. you got to throw some extra THs around. It's King James, right? So. Same idea, though. ESV, but only faith working through love. ASV, but faith working through love. So the idea here is reasonably straightforward. But faith working through love. Through love, through our love of Christ. Our faith is working. Now, you want an entire commentary on those few words, I would say go read the book of James. And you'll see those put in context that we have these two, all three of these concepts being connected together faith, working, and love. We have a faith that is working because of or by reason of our love. It's funny that you mentioned Barnes this morning, Glenn, because uh, having grown up at one time in my life a faithful Methodist myself, I had to go look and see what the New King James interpretation of this these few words were. And I did a little bit of my own head shaking because I'm like, I don't. How do you get from there to here without writing something into it? Because the NIV renders the same, same these same few words. The only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love. Sure, sounds kind of similar on the surface, but when you start tearing apart. There's a little bit of twisting that's going on there um, when you look at this. I won't say otherwise simple idea, because there's a lot in that, that idea. But I want to get through this, so let's carry on. So, basically, we're going to end verse 6 with, uh, for full details, go read James. <laughs> verse 7, you ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? All right, you started off well. Who's come in among you? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. Who called them? This is not a trick question. It has most likely been capitalized for you. Again, we have to remember who is this being written to? People in the first century. They didn't pull out their iPhone and open up their favorite Bible app and go read all of this. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. What's he saying? He's saying, this did not come from he who calls you. What are they supposed to be doing when people bring these new doctrines? Testing them. Proving them. And Paul's even saying, I I don't know who's troubling you here, but he will bear his own judgment, whoever he is. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Why are the Jews? You know, if you think about Paul's missionary journeys, he would start by going to the Jews when he came to a new city. Then he would preach. Often, many would hear, others would not. Then he would continue to preach to everyone else in town. And often, it was those very same Jews who hadn't heard that would then get bent out of shape and run him out of town by various and assorted means on multiple occasions. And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off. Paul is calling on them to figure out where this doctrine is coming from. It isn't from Paul. It isn't from the Holy Spirit. He's telling them, look, this is a false doctrine of man. And don't let other people tell you that I've been teaching this. I, the Eleven, Derek, to me, almost give the sense of, hey, don't let them come in and tell you that I've been preaching this. Right? I mean, that's that's the implication I see here. Is like, well, and if I preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Right? Paul's saying if all it takes to make these other people happy is to preach circumcision and they're going to be good with it, and if that was okay, why am I still being persecuted? Another one of those great but subtle examples that if you're standing up for what's right, doesn't mean it's going to be easy. It's a whole other object lesson out of Paul's life that you could walk through. He's saying, hey, this is a false doctrine of man. 13, for you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word, even this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware, lest you be consumed by one another. Liberty was something we talked about when I taught I don't remember how many weeks ago now it was. Two lessons ago in Galatians, but I think it's been three weeks or more um, since we talked about this. Liberty is one of those words that um, in the United States we like to throw around, right? Give me liberty or give me death. We were founded on the concept of liberty. However, when we talk about liberty today, we're talking about the, the simple concept of my ability to live my life without interference from the government, right? That's, that's usually the most colloquial definition I hear, There's more formal ones. But the idea that I can live my life independently of influence and meddling from Uncle Sam. Right? You're not in here telling me what I have to do, how I have to live my life. You're not telling me where I have to go to church. We don't have an official state religion. Um, I have liberty within that. When we talk about liberty in the Bible, especially Paul here, because he mentions it several times in Galatians, this concept of liberty. Liberty. I think we should talk it about again, because he's talking about liberty to do or omit things having no relationship to salvation. Under the old law, there were lots of things you were required to do or not do. And it was complicated. It was, it was a complicated, intricate part of your everyday life. And here Paul's reminding them that we have been called to liberty. And the things that have to do with our salvation, it's a handful and it's quite straightforward. We're not worried about, I mean, some of the, again, this is one of those parts in the lesson where you wish James was here, right? You wish he was teaching it instead. Because there were so many little aspects about, I mean, it had evolved to the point of things about shaving or maybe the way garments should be or Certain things you did at different times during the day, there were so many little pieces. The things that we're called to under salvation, I mean, the plan of salvation in the New Testament, I'm not going to stand up here and say something as foolish as it's easy, but it's straightforward. And there are so many things we have liberty in compared to the old law. And he's calling them and reminding them, don't use this as an opportunity for the flesh, are usually the excuse of, because I have liberty and I can do these things, that I can get away with whatever I want and simply ask for forgiveness later. But that through love, that they serve one another. And he boils fulfilling the law down basically into the simple idea that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Of your neighbor as yourself. 16. I say then, walk in the Spirit. Remember, we started with this idea of two doctrines one that was of the world, one that was of above, one that was of the bondwoman, one that was of the free. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things that you wish, but if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. When I look at this, the thing that kept coming back to me is I think the best way to probably sum up this idea of the spirit versus the flesh is the idea of the world versus Christ. Because that's, that's really the concept that he's, that he's showing here. The first, the flesh being what today we would probably refer to more as the secular, modern, or progressive worldview. It's a worldview worldview without Christ. And the second being a Christian worldview, looking at everything through the lens of the Bible. And if you continue on with the last few verses in this chapter, I mean, that's clearly what he spells out for us. I mean, he gives us examples. He lays this out. He he talks about this between the spirit and the flesh and choosing one over the other. But then this ends with very clear definitions of what these two are. 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Which are? Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambition, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. Of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in times past that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Which means he's talking about things that have book of life implications. But let's look at that list again. Which are? Adultery. Hey, guess what? There's an app for that. Fornication. Fornication. There's apps for that. Uncleanness, lewdness. Oh, yes, there's apps for that. Idolatry. Idolatry. I don't think we appreciate that one. I know the world doesn't appreciate it. Somehow I got sucked down the rabbit hole of reading the news this week. What's that? The algorithm will get you, right? You read one article, and next thing you know, the one at the bottom just happened to suggest another article and another article. And somehow I clipped on one, because I guess apparently it was a big deal because Taylor Swift postponed a concert. And it's one of those where you get halfway through it, and it's like, why am I even reading this? But I guess I hadn't understood whatever this tour was that she was doing and how many people were there, and apparently how... I guess for lack of a better term, rabid, some of her fans are. And I'm just sitting there amazed. And I guess now she's dating a football player or something. So now you've got like worlds colliding between Taylor Swift fans and football. Anyway, but I was just sat there amazed. I'm going, this is a person who three, four nights a week is filling up stadiums with hundreds of thousands of people. So she can sing a song? I mean, there's people that are good. But then I made the mistake of going, what's it cost to get a ticket to this thing? (laughs) Pretty sure I bought cars for less than some people were paying for tickets to go see this thing. Idolatry is all around us and it's considered the norm and we live in a world, these works of the flesh, that you're kind of weird if you don't fit in one of those categories. And I get it, I'm picking on a musician, but pick your favorite band, pick your favorite sports team. We live in a world that wants to prop people up as our idols. I'm supposed to care who Taylor Swift is dating? Sorry, (laughs) not real high on my radar. Sorcery. I actually had an interesting discussion about sorcery this week. This is going to sound really weird, Glenn. The demo that didn't work was actually for a guy that's a professional magician. And he was looking at buying some simulators. And this is the first time I'd ever had a a conversation with somebody who was a, and I don't really know what it means to be a professional magician, but he like, he's a professional magician. Mostly he's a producer and does stuff. But I told him I actually kind of like the fact that magicians quit calling themselves magicians. Because magician implies some weird, almost occult-like, I don't know how to describe it, like you're some supernatural. I kind of like the fact that when I was a kid, was about the time, I guess it was David Copperfield, he started calling him illusions instead. He didn't call himself a magician, he called himself an illusionist. I don't know why, I kind of appreciate that. I, I, I go to an illusion, I know it's fake. Well, same thing with a magician, but with a magician, it's like you're, call, you're calling on sorcery to make these things happen, Right? You want to go do an illusion, do some stuff with mirrors, hey, it's kind of cool, it's fun to watch, that's fine. You start adding this weird, I have mystic powers to it, and now you're getting a little creepy. But it's called out here. It's a work of the flesh. Sorcery. Hatred. Boy, don't we live in a world where it's okay to hate the people that don't agree with me. In fact, if you don't hate them, there's something wrong with you. Whether it be The other football team, I don't know, what's an anti-Taylor Swift, I don't know, whatever. Whether it's the other football team, the other political party, the other side. Contentions, pretty sure you can't make money, at least in cable news, unless you're thriving on contentions, real or imagined. Jealousies, how come they have something I don't have? That's become the new okay. Right. Well, it was so easy for you to go do this or that or get a job and buy a house. Yeah, sure, there's there's stuff that we can do better, things that need to change. I sure hear an awful lot of complaining that seems to be mostly out of jealousy. Outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, Drunkenness and revelries. Pretty sure there's apps for that too now. It's almost the norm. You're weird if you don't drink. And the like. I love the fact that to sum it all up, all you need to throw all the rest of it is, is and the like. Why? It's obvious and you know what those things are. I don't have to spell them out for you. These are the big categories. And the like. I don't even have to get into the details and split hairs. You know it when you see it. I just find it odd that in that very list is more and more what the people around us embrace as, hey, this is what normal should look like, right? You don't go out on a Friday night? That's weird. But the fruits of the Spirit. Now, this is, this is a couple of verses that, quite frankly, you can do an entire series of classes on, just the fruits of the Spirit. But let's look at these last few verses in this, book, in this chapter. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. And those who are Christ's have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another envying one another so let's look at let's look at the contrast of this list versus the other one but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace and bells that catch you when you thought you were going to have enough time Love, joy, peace. You know, there's a lot of people today on lots of platforms. I'll admit, I'll admit I'm a little bit of a podcast junkie, although I don't drive as much as I used to. I used to commute, and now I'm home, so I don't listen to nearly as, uh, as much content like that as I used to. But there's an awful lot of people out there trying to help you find love, joy, and peace. Right? I mean, meditate. Meditate become the new uh, unreligious word for pray. Meditate. Right? All kinds of versions. You can go find it. I don't have anything against meditation although prayer is a meditation. Right? One is I'm going to get my Venn diagrams wrong. Right? Like meditation is like the superset and prayer is anyway. There's, they fit together. You want to go talk about meditation? The world would love to listen to you. You want to talk about prayer? Ah, you're getting that. I'm not sure we want anything to do with that. People love godly things when they're not being presented through a Christian lens or where they came from. Find your inner joy, find your peace. Right? All you gotta do is get up in the morning and you should spend, you know, the first thirty minutes while you're drinking your coffee, you should journal. I have no problem with journaling, right? But they want the benefit of actually sitting down and reflecting on my life and looking at it through a proper lens but they want to take that as far away from godly things as possible, you're just going to spend the time and you're going to focus. And guess what? If you're not careful, that becomes the selfish ambitions and the envies and the jealousies and the other things. Long-suffering. Kindness. Goodness. You want to start a debate start talking about goodness because it very much becomes, well, what I say is okay and what you say is okay and it, it can disintegrate quickly. But goodness can only be defined by the one who is good and the one who decides what is good and what is bad. Otherwise, it quickly comes down to a simple debate of my opinion versus your opinion. Right? Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There are entire books that have been written, and I've read some of them, about simple concepts like self-control entirely from a non-biblical context, and the world loves them, right? Um, You take somebody like This is real popular right now. It seems like anybody who was a Navy SEAL in the last 20 years has now written a book. I say not anybody, but but lots of them, right? And it's usually why? Because there are a bunch of tough guys that have gone through a bunch of crazy things and figured out how to do stuff that's hard, right? Um, And a lot of times they'll write stuff, oh, it's about self-control. The only discipline is self-discipline, right? Not wrong, but I find it interesting. You know, I've read a couple of these books, and when I look at them, the concepts they're teaching and then the, the framework that they're using These are biblical concepts, right? I mean, there's a couple of them. I even listen to their podcast on a reasonably regular basis. You know, they'll do a lot of history stuff, and it's like fun military history stuff, and you learn things, but, you know, you hear stuff where they're like, well, first thing you have to do is you have to start with cover and move. I cannot think of a more Christian principle than the concept of cover and move. Hey, you're getting shot at right now, so we're going to shoot at them so that they can't shoot at you so you can move. We're going to cover for you so that you can move. Can you think of anything more Christian than, hey, you're going through a hard time right now. We're going to come over here and we're going to help you and do what we can to help take the pressure off what's going on right now so you can move to a better location so you're safe. Then when you're in a good spot, you're going to do the same thing to help me out. That's all cover and move is. The difference is one's in everyday life and the other one's somebody getting shot at. The world loves the fruit of the Spirit. The Spirit as long as I don't tell them where it came from or who the spirit was. And you'll see it everywhere. And I would encourage you to look for it. Because sometimes, that's the door for the conversation to go have. Sometimes that's the way where you can say, yeah, yeah, that's uh, prioritize and execute. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> There's lots of places where you're told you need to you know, prioritize what needs to happen and do the important stuff first. So as we finish Galatians 5, JB's going to finish up next week, but you see here that the people that Paul was writing to are dealing with the same things that we see today. So I guess the one thing we should take is hope that while we look around and we can clearly see all these things that are evident that are works of the flesh, Paul was pointing them out 2,000 years ago. So we see them now and it seems so horrible. Guess what? He saw them then and they were fighting the same stuff. There's nothing new under the sun. And our solution? The same fruits of the Spirit that Paul was pointing out to them. So thank you for your attention. I appreciate it. And I believe the plan is next week you're going to finish Galatians up for us, right, JB? All right. Hope to see you then. We hope you have enjoyed this lesson from God's Word. If you would like to continue your study of New Testament Christianity, please send your name and address to World Bible School. West Huntsville Church of Christ, 1519 Old Monrovia Road, Northwest, Huntsville, Alabama, 35806. Or if you prefer, send your name and address by email to wbs at westhuntsville.org.